Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. We're going to take a bit of a different course in our podcast today. We're going to be talking about a guy. He's 36 years old. He's six foot five inches tall, 250 pounds of slabbed, lethally trained muscle. He's a West Point graduate. He's a decorated retired major, once in the U.S. Army's elite military police unit. He lives the simplest of lives. He's attached to no one and no one place. And he owns nothing, literally. He carries some cash, his passport, an expired military ID, and a fold-up toothbrush. He mostly walks, sometimes he hitchhikes, from place to place across the U.S., staying for short periods of time. The clothes on his back usually last for several days, after which he discards them and purchases new ones. He's extremely bright. He's cerebral in his calculations. He's tactically brilliant in his problem-solving. He's got a keen sense of justice, a very well-honed moral compass, and even has his own code. He doesn't seek violence, but he never backs down from a forced encounter. And despite the numbers often being lopsided, he is truly a one-man wrecking crew. He comes into most towns with a curiosity and an openness, but always seems to stumble across some kind of malevolent conspiracy and ends up investigating these suspicious and frequently dangerous situations. And he writes these wrongs and establishes order and lawfulness through his own form of rough justice. This guy I'm describing is Jack Reacher, the protagonist in a series of crime thriller novels by British author Lee Child. Now, you listeners may be thinking right about now that Graham has gone off a little bit of the rails here if Reacher is today's podcast focus, but stay with me. There is something about Reacher that is special. And Child's success in authoring 24 New York Times best-selling Jack Reacher thrillers, 14 having reached the number one position, suggests that Reacher is touching something in us that might just be worth understanding psychologically. With me today to do just that is one of my favorite guests, Dr. Lloyd Setterer. Lloyd is an adjunct professor at the Columbia University School of Public Health. He served for 12 years as the chief medical officer at the NYS Office of Mental Health, the nation's largest state mental health system. He's been NYC's mental health commissioner, medical director of McLean Hospital, a Harvard teaching hospital, and director of the Division of Clinical Services for the American Psychiatric Association. He was awarded the Irma Bland Award for Excellence in Teaching Residents by the APA. In 2009, Lloyd was recognized as a Psychiatric Administrator of the Year. He's been awarded a Scholar in Residence Grant by the Rockefeller Foundation and an Exemplary Psychiatrist Award from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. In 2019, he received the Doctor of the Year Award from the National Council of Behavioral Healthcare. Lloyd has published seven professional books and six books for lay audiences. And he is currently the chief medical officer for Bongo Media and holds leadership roles in a number of dot-coms, including Get Help and Mindaria and Minded. I could go on about his myriad of other accomplishments and contributions to mental health as they are many, but most relevant to this show are Lloyd's recent reviews on the Reacher novels. To date, Lloyd has written four reviews on child's novels, including a review in the Huffington Post and several in the New York Journal of Books and one review in the Psychiatric Times on Amazon's streaming Reacher series. Well, with all that, Lloyd, I want to welcome you to our show this morning. 
It's great to be here. And you can see from your intro that I can't seem to hold down a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you've had uh, in your professional career, some really stellar positions and made some significant contributions. But I'm so fortunate that we have you here to contribute with a mental health perspective and understanding of what is it about these books that seems to be so unique. This Reacher there's something about him that makes him an irresistible force, isn't there? And, and I'm curious about initially, what drew you to these novels and what about him has captured you? One important additional point, if I may, Graham, is that he is the only character consistently by a writer through 24 books. Many of the mystery writers, they uh -huh. this character, that character, they move on, they move on. His appeal is persistent that child doesn't have to create another character. He just needs to create another Reacher story. What does that say? This says, boy, there's something magnetic about this man or this fictional man. Yeah, there really is. It's, it's interesting because while the character doesn't change, what you get to see is more and more of him through different situations, different places, different relationships. And you get to see a, a broader and broader understanding of him shaded in in each of these examples from one book after the other. Yes, and, and that is a real gift to be able to write 24 books, opening up and examining the character of one person. That's a yeah. lot. Of, he should be a psychiatrist. <laughs> or, he should be, or one of the two, something in our field for sure. You know, you're talking about the, the art of writing, and I want to ask you in a moment about the different types of writers that there are. But first, you're new to the Reacher series. You didn't start back when they first started being written, but something drew you to them. What was it and what captured you? My stepson, I, I had uh, back surgery a number of years ago, and I was lying. I lie on my back, nothing to do. And, and he says, here, why don't you read one of these? I was abroad at the time, and I just whipped through it. And then I asked him and my wife to go to different bookstores in <laughs> New York and get as many as they could, because I just was, it's like Janet Maslin says uh, in her review of him, you can't get enough of him. It, his, the, the series is addictive, and I would just move from one book to the next to the next. Yeah, and I've heard it written too. Maybe it was you that wrote it. You, you're almost disappointed when you see you're on about the last hundred pages. <laughs> you just don't want it to end, do you? Well, except that the last hundred pages is a gallop. Yeah. It's a writer's gallop because he canters, he quiets, he rests. And then at the end, it's just explosive race to the finish line. And then there's also, you know, that uh, typical post-excitement to quiet yeah. for a moment where he's the long ranger walking down a <laughs> empty right. road with his thumb out to hitchhike. That's really good. Going back to this uh, idea that there are different kinds of writers, and maybe even to the point where we could even ask ourselves, what kind of writer might we be? But take us into that a little bit. Yeah, this is something that's said about writers. And you can ask yourself, which one of these two types of writers are you? So there's a narrow country road. It's dark and rainy. And one driver has his windshield wipers going as fast as can be, has his high beams on, and is creeping down the highway. The other type of driver or writer just hurdles himself down that road. He doesn't have his lights on. He doesn't have his windshield wipers on. 
he's just hurtling forward. And that's the sense that I've gotten about Lee Child and his writing. Yes. And it's one that I wouldn't dare say I, I'm the same way, but I, I don't think in plot and put post-its on, on the wall. I just let it go. And that's what Lee Child does, because he starts out simply with an idea, not with a whole plot. You've talked a little bit about his whole process of writing and just kind of what he goes through, even what he eats <laughs> during, <laughs> during that time. It's pretty noteworthy, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Well, I wouldn't recommend this because I am a doctor, but he pumps himself up every day when he's writing, writes for about six months, each book, with 20 or 30 cups of coffee, yeah. Snickers bars, yeah. and on two packs of cigarettes. Yeah, crazy. That's, that's the kind of fuel he needs to produce so much. And, you know, sometimes late in the afternoon, you or I might have a candy bar to keep going. Right. He's doing that from morning to night. That's brutal. Brutal. You know, I, I read all the books as well. And I'm most drawn to the characteristics that Reacher embodies. And, and the book really clearly begins to define these and to illustrate these in some really interesting situations. And psychologically, what I'm intrigued about is what about these personality traits do you think are drawing people to him? And you've written about these traits, you know, trust and justice. Go over some of these traits for us and help describe just not him further, but what is it about these traits that are drawing people to this character? What more could you ask from a person or a character than to be trustworthy, yeah. to be a person of his or her word? You'd no doubt about it. Yeah. And that the uh, word is always about doing the right thing, which was something in the series that his mother taught him because he's such a big and smart guy. So he's doing the right thing and you can trust that he will do the right thing. Uh, that's yeah. like the core foundation of any really good relationship. Yeah, really. And then he's sort of peculiar, which seems to add a little bit of touch here to the whole thing. Like you said, he doesn't have a house, he doesn't have a garment bag. He's yeah. just a dude. kind of an enigma, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> right. And he's quiet, he's always cerebrally involved. He's thinking, thinking, thinking. And that's what gets him to be a detective. And in one of the books, because he wanders around, has no home, and is a detective, smart detective, he's called uh, Sherlock Homeless. Yeah, that's right. And that too, imagine if you didn't have to do something tomorrow or the next day. There were no Zoom calls on your schedule. You just get an idea. Oh, there's this musician that was famous, a uh, blues musician playing in yes. this town. You're near that town. I'm just going to go there and go to his grave and learn a little bit about him. And then a day or two later, I don't know where I'll go, but I'll be going. That type of freedom is also, I think, very appealing to the, our imagination because yes. it's incomprehensible to, you can't, can't do it, but you can dream about it. Yeah, I love that part. You know, you almost think about Erickson's you know, initial you know, stages of trust versus mistrust. That's our first developmental milestone. And you're talking about there's something just fundamentally trustworthy and justice driven in this man. And there's something very drawing to us when we know that somebody embodies those characters. He has this, he has this like this true north, doesn't he? 
Yes. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just clear and there's no compromising to it. It's kind of fearlessly embodied and protected. And there's something very safe about that and very trustworthy about that. Yes. Wouldn't we all want to have somebody like that in our lives? The other quality, which took me a while to realize is that women like him and he likes women. And Again and again in the novels, there is a, a woman that he comes upon, works with almost all the time, a woman in uniform, maybe army, maybe police, whatever, and he bonds with her and they engage together in the battle against the bad guys. Yeah. And often he has a romantic relationship with that woman, yeah. which lasts yeah. a few days. But women are, I've learned that more women buy uh, Reacher books, Lee Child books than men. Isn't that noteworthy? Yeah. yeah. Women buy more books than men in general. But something like this, you might imagine the same damn character again and again, this giant of a man, a woman will think oh, enough of this. But no, they keep going back to the font because he is such a rich source of comfort. And I've heard people say, maybe you said this to me, that Reacher, he's comfort reading to them. Like when we're really stressed or can't sleep or want to get away from the everyday grind, he's the type of writer to read because it's comfort reading. It takes you to another world right away, and it's a good one. The stories are always well-written, and the way he paints these scenarios that Reacher walks into, but there's something I'd like you to mind down, if we could, just a wee bit further. There's something about the comfort reading piece of this that draws people to not just because it's a good story plot, but there's something about Reacher in the story plot. It's it's the man in those situations, the way that he thinks through them, the way that he understands people, the way that he, you know, <laughs> gives people options to solve these things in right ways. What is it you think that makes it so comforting? Consistency is a comforting quality. That's a good point. And he, if anything, is consistent. He's consistent in his lifestyle, and he is consistent in his values, and he is even consistent in his coffee drinking. So the thing, uh, again and again, you can touch the same stone, and it's no different. It's the same each time, and you liked it before, and you keep liking it. That's a very particular form of comfort, I think. Because it's it will always be there. I, I think when you're when you're talking about earlier, someone who is trustworthy and someone who is just, we might even add in another characteristic of someone who is consistent in our lives. Those are our earliest developmental milestones relationally, or in our lives later on when we get together with people. We want them to be truth based. We want them to be just. We want them to be consistent. That provides safety, doesn't it? That provide and, and maybe even further what you just said. It provides a sense of comfort for us to be in the world with them in it. Yeah, yeah. And to in- live in that fictional character, because that's the art of a great writer. It's not that you're reading about Jack Reacher, it's just that you're reading about yourself as Jack Reacher. And it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a man, because these attributes are so desirable, every sex should want them. <laughs> well, it's interesting you should say that, because you know these books, I believe, are a part of a self-study. In a way, I think they're also part of a societal study and maybe a relational study. It's not just a cool character that's big and mean, you know, big and tough and all those things. 
But there's a, there's a, like you just said, there's almost a self-study going on, isn't there? There's something about that, that we are almost measuring ourselves against or others in our lives against that. I think, (laughs) I think is part of the attraction to this. Often uh, the plot that a child happens upon and writes about is often very germane to what's going on uh, today. Uh, And there's something in the news about hacking. There's a whole lot in the news about opioids. There's a whole lot about guns and bad guys with guns and sinister guys trying to rip off money. So that these are his cast of enemies. And uh, that also is, I think, very engaging because you know he's going to come upon somebody that you know you're going to not like. And you're going to feel he's uh, just in giving that guy his due. So that type of sweet justice, vigilante justice, there are no rules for Jack except get the job done. That's amazing property that he's created in this character. And I did it again and again, every year, a book every year. Yeah, pretty, pretty noteworthy. You're talking about earlier his respect for women. And I think that's that, that's a noteworthy piece of this book. You know, he's not the typical kind of macho guy who kind of feels like he's got to come in and either be the knight in shining armor to protect women or someone who's in any way kind of demeaning of women. And in fact, the women he has in the, in, in the book are very competent. And in fact, he lets them have their space <laughs> to do what they do, to take on guys. And he kind of lets them go and he trusts them very much. But there's also Along with that respect, on the other side of it, there's this loving piece too, isn't there? Yes. He's got a big heart. He's what the Jews call schmaltzy. I want to hear about this. He's tender. He makes the scene feel uh, tearful uh, and wonderful. And that's uh, that's what the Jews call schmaltz. And there's always a touch of schmaltz in the books. And it's usually in relationship to either the woman that he's involved with or his mother. A French uh, resistance heroine. I happened upon this, and then I couldn't stop. And then there was this whole uh, dust-up about Tom Cruise. Mm. And why in the world would Lee Child, I mean, what, how much money <laughs> could, could be, he be paid? Could he care to be paid? Because he's a very rich man. To, uh, but it turns out that Tom Cruise bought the rights to quite a few of the novels. Oh, I didn't know that. And then, so he was in a position to decide, well, who's going to play Reacher? And of course, he decided to do that. I think he's a, a worthy representative of some of these qualities, but he is not Reacher because that's another property which draws, it's his size. And big is Important to many of us. In fact, I read somewhere some time ago that of all the major corporate CEOs in the country, almost all of them, vast predominance of them are tall, six foot one, six foot two, that there is something about our DNA or our limbic emotional systems that find a big person who's smart and trustworthy really a desirable person and a person to lead. Yeah, that's really good. 
I think there is that schmaltz piece. I know there's some scenes in, in a couple of the books. We, we talked about one, we were in a conversation this week about the military woman who was discharged with severe burns and how she became addicted to opioids and just a, a really kind of loving scene there. Somebody who's very disfigured and in a tremendous amount of pain, but he not only saved the day around her needs, but also was very tender hearted and loving towards her as well. And I think that's the, the the nice piece about this is just not a bad guy coming into town and, you know, killing off everybody or putting everybody in their place, but there's a real tenderness in this guy's masculinity. And I think that word masculinity is something that we find having gone through the last 30 years or so, a really challenge male masculinity, some real, real challenges, but with Reacher too, there's, there's also along with his tender heartedness and his size, there, there's also this ability to take care of business, isn't there? If he needs to, and he has this, he has this code around that violence. Uh, he's not going out to look for it, but he has a code around it, doesn't he? Yes. And which is, you know, you leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. But if you start to, you know, ruffle me or somebody I care about, you're going to have a choice of two things. You can walk away right now, or you can leave busted up in an ambulance. And that line is used again and again because it's so black and white. That's his justice. And one other thing I wanted to just mention, and go back to your comment about the former soldier who burns and so forth, that that something happened that's very important in that relationship. And it wasn't just his supplying her with enough medications to withdraw. It was creating hope in her. It was taking somebody who uh, helped or enabling somebody to go from just utter misery and hopelessness to feeling like there was hope that she could have a, a life again. That's transformative. And we all look for that. That's what love does. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. We have been supporting behavioral mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years. Working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at aatbs.com. That's aatbs.com. And use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. I, I, I love it. That, that, that's almost another piece here. Somebody who can go to the point where they create hope for another person. Let, let, let's add to the trustworthiness and the justice and the consistency. Somebody that can provide hope. To, to, to others and those around them. That's a pretty significant addition here, isn't it? It's your job and mine, other than the radio. I mean, you're a clinical psychologist, I'm a psychiatrist. What do we do? We give people hope. We help yeah. them think things through, but we basically enable them to grip the hope inside them and use it. Yeah. I think this is a, one more addition to the comfort aspect of this book and also kind of the character that we kind of can't 
can't uh, put down, that we want to have more and more of. What do you think it is about the Reacher characteristics and his personality traits, his way of carrying himself, the way that he thinks through things? What, what is so drawing for men in this character? Again, that self-study piece. Confidence. He has utter confidence in himself. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. And how many men would love to be able to think, oh, you know, I'm sure of this, or I'm sure that even if there are five guys ready to bust me up, yeah. I'm confident of the outcome. But it's also confident of being able to uh, think through a very complex problem and work it through to the point where step by step you un it unfolds. And I think that's the way he writes as well, because he's that driver hurtling down the road. So one scene leads to the other. This is an amazing quality of men, I think, we're drawn to. And he's he's got these other odd features, which I think are engaging, which is that he has what's called an eidetic memory. And you saw that in the, one of the Cruz films where he has a rifle and he goes to the locker to get it and, and he's leaving and then the policeman says, don't you want to take any information down about the rifle? And then he turns around and he spits out, you know, 14 different letters and numbers that are the ID code for the rifle. And yeah. that type of eidetic memory is very, it, it exists, it often exists in people on the spectrum, on the autistic spectrum. Mm -hmm. which is something I've always wondered, you know, does he qualify to be on the spectrum? And I think the answer is no, yeah, uh, right. because of how relational he is. And even more so before he hit the road, he was a leader of a top-notch crew that absolutely believed in him, formed with him. This is not the kind of reserved and anxious quality of a person with autism, but he has that eidetic memory. And then once in a while, you see he's got this clock. Yes. Head that he sets, he goes to sleep and he sets his mind to wake up at 610. And his mind tells him when it's 610. Or you ask him what time it is and he doesn't have a watch. He tells, well, these are features that are, I think, very unusual and draw. You know, how do you understand this? How can somebody remember 14 numbers on a serial code? How can somebody know exactly what time it is? Well, there's something going on different which is not bad. In fact, it's quite desirable. That, I think, adds to his appeal. I would really agree. You talked about men likely being drawn in large part, other features as well, but in large part to he conveys a confidence, but that confidence is in a felt competence. This is a very competent man, tested, tried, awarded, you know, decorated, all those things. But, you know, very simple in his existence, but with, with a competence and a confidence that, that comes out of that. And I think maybe mining down a wee bit in the psychology of this and, and, and also roles that we have, I think for a lot of men nowadays, they, they don't walk around with a sense of competence and confidence that they would like to have. I think because things have been, you know, denigrated around, you know, healthy masculinity or things about the roles that my, men might have or I think that's come into question. And there's a lot of confusion for men right now. And there's something about this book that almost creates, that almost zeroes back in an understanding of 
this is what men can embody and what they can have. There's something significant. Yeah. And we can allow ourselves to imagine that because he has this incredible competence and yes. confidence, but without a touch of arrogance. Exactly. That's very important in this book or in somebody this character. Full of himself. He's no. somebody who's humble, but he's somebody who knows how to apply himself fully. And that, I think, draws a, a man also. I mean, I would love to have that type of confidence and have the kind of humility. Yeah. Uh, that he, yeah, that his character portrays. And imagine all of this is, comes out of the mind of one man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a noteworthy reminder. It really is. And, and you know, as, as you talk about, this guy's not looking for anything when he's joining people to work through something where that they're stuck in or to rescue somebody or to, to right the wrongs. He's not looking for anything in return other than it's in front of him and he feels a need I wouldn't necessarily call it a compulsion, but there's just something that drives him that he can't turn away from something like this, can he? He's got to lean into this and he cannot tolerate things when they're when they're not being done in right or just ways. And he won't leave until won't leave. right has been wrong. The other thing about his, I think, modesty as well, in a certain way, is that he's not at all interested in money. And in a number of the books, he has, you know, a gazillion dollars in the trunk of a car or here and there. And what does he do with it? He gives it to its proper recipients. He doesn't even take bus fare. That's a, a generous generosity that I almost you never heard of today. Yeah. There's, but, there's, but it goes back to what you said earlier. He's, he's not attached to those things, and therefore he's free, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, he doesn't have to worry about paying the mortgage or getting a new car or paying for his kid's education. Yeah. He, there's no, virtually no obligation that he can not cover with a modest military pension. Yeah. You know, we're talking about this idea of confidence and competence. We're talking about the characteristics of being just and trustworthy, consistent. And you said that women are purchasing the Lee Child's books more than the men are. What about those qualities do you think in women are most attractive? I don't know why they would be any different, Graham. I mean, that uh, I'm not a woman, but I, I've married and I've, I know women well. And they also seek somebody who is strong, uh, confident, and respectful, not arrogant, and who will be there, has your back, Yes, no matter what. So, you know, uh, why should it be different for a woman? I agree. I agree. Yeah, there's something that's fundamental in the characteristics in a relationship that we so want and need yeah. to yeah. have there. It goes back, I think, to that, the comfort piece, the security piece, the safety piece, that's, uh, again, our earliest developmental task and, and, and relational need to have that certainty in place. What do you think it would be like if we had more reachers in today's world in terms of in, in our communities or in our businesses, maybe even in our government, not every man being a reacher, we wouldn't want that. But if we had more of the minute, what, what do you just speculate things would be like? You've raised this question with me. It's really a wonderful question because I'm not sure it would be something we would want to have if we had it, mm -hmm. because then the uniqueness would be gone. And then suddenly you have some big giant watching over you all the time, which 
few of us want, except when we're in trouble. And imagine a reacher on every corner or a reacher in every office building that it would feel a bit much. And the properties, those special properties, would lose their sense of being so unique, so special, because they're here and there again and again. I, I'm not sure it would be a good thing. What about this idea, if we had a few more that are maybe a little iconic in their presentation. And what if the specialness of it, maybe for some might get lost, but I think about Tiger Woods, you know, one of the best golfers of all time. And Tiger Woods came onto the courses and he began to make some shots and to risk some things that changed the game. And then what people found is, well, if Tiger can do it, maybe I can do it. Mm-hmm. They didn't realize that they had this golf game in them, that if they just kind of got out of their comfort zone and they began to push themselves, they could actually become better golfers. And he just bumped the whole bar way up. And I wonder if we had some, you know, some more reachers that were embodying the characteristics here that bring that comfort and that security, if that would not maybe be kind of a model, then maybe for some, it would lose its, you know, special properties, but maybe for others, it would be maybe inspirational and aspirational in some ways. It could be. I, I recall when I played a lot of tennis, if I could, I would watch a tennis match or part of a tennis match before I went to play. That's smart. Because I would absorb some of that. I would identify with the player and the quality of his strokes, the movement on the court. And I think that's what we're also drawn to about Reacher because he plays an unbelievably artful game and we're able to imagine being that as well, I think. So I, I don't know if you need more reachers or you just need to read more of the reacher books to achieve what you're talking about. Well, uh, you're, you're talking about- by the way, about... I have no financial interest in any of this whatsoever. <laughs> I just have human interest. I know you don't. I know you don't. I think there's a there's a time in our society right now where where masculinity is ideally having an opportunity to be redefined at its very best. I was reading an article, it was, it was a manifesto actually, in truemasculinity.org, and it states that masculinity and manhood is a dignified, honorable, and courageous you know, set of components. True masculinity defines autonomy and the rights of all those who have been disenfranchised, women, men, children, and otherwise. True masculinity, they say, doesn't rely on brute force. True masculinity is potent, powerful, and heartfelt in and of itself, confident and secure, true masculinity freely empowers all others in its community to actualize their humanity. There's some really cool things in that, isn't there? Long time before us, that used to be called nobility. I love that word. And that he has the qualities of a noble. He's going to oversee what's right. He's going to make sure that what's right is not going to take more, more than he needs. And, and he's so just. That, that's, that's the kind of nobility that uh, eludes our societies in big ways now. You just might have given Child his next uh, title for his book, something about nobility. I, I like that word being brought in here because I think true masculinity requires you know, to courage, to live authentically and uh, to measure our strength and our worth by, you know, by who we are, not what we have or what others say about us. There's something just inherently simple and pure. And when we distill it down, these are the characteristics I think that, you know, Reacher is, is uh, embodying and also what draws us to him. You uh, cited 
a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Weave that in here to our time as we're going to be getting to wind down here, but talk about uh, that quote and the meaning of it to you. I was drawn to it because of two key words that have come up again and again in our conversation. And it's just two lines. Love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power without love is reckless and abusive. Yes. He's created walls with this quote around love and power that uh, give us a direction that it is not about one or the other. It is about the good distribution of both in all of us and that that's what makes for a Martin Luther King world. I really like that. There's a, there's a similar type quote from Jordan Peterson, the psychologist out of Canada. He says, he says, a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who <laughs> has that under voluntary control. And I think there's something about these quotes that I think uh, are going to be part of what we're looking at and maybe in, you know, kind of a national dialogue around reclaiming masculinity in the healthiest most loving, most tender-hearted, strong, courageous, noble kind of way. Yeah, I don't think if you're, you know, heterosexual, you're going to lose anything by being more of that. Your attraction is going to go up. Your your stock is going to go up with women because what what does a woman want? That was the name of a movie, but it is about that type of nobility. It is about that type of predictability, trustworthiness. That you know, I, that's why I think women read his books. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. You know, as we come home here, just to kind of wind down, we're going to put up all of the links to the reviews that you've written, all five of them, and on our site. So folks will have access to that. But just give us some resources about how folks can get to know you and the things you're doing. Let our listeners know in the in the podcast here. How can they get to know more about you? Well, um, I have a website, but it's been dormant for a year, but I'm about to rev it up because I am involved in two uh, projects at the moment. I'm writing my 14th book. I'm almost ready Congrats. to submit it. And like everybody else, I'm working on a podcast with a very close friend who is a orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine doctor, and the chief medical officer of the United States Olympic ski team. And the two of us are bantering. It's sort of like car talk with doctors. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. And so we're, we're, we have about 10 episodes written and we'll go about to record them. So the, once those two things move along the book and the podcast, then I think there'll be more uh, fresh material on my website. But there's still a lot. There's a lot archived there, including my uh, last two books. One, one book, two books ago was about addiction. And that's what, when I even got Lee Child to endorse that book, to my surprise. Oh, very good. And the last one was called Ink Stained for Life. That's a good book. And it was a totally different genre for me. It was story writing. I wrote 14 stories uh, about my life from the time I was 8 to 17 in New York City. And I think I had something there. I sent it to my publisher. And it was, she said, how many words? I said, 20,000. She said, come back when you have 50,000 words. 
because they can't market a book unless you're very famous. So I wound up writing 52,000 words. I, I matched each story with an essay, an essay that looked into its meaning, its contemporary application. And that was much more work <laughs> than writing I like that. stories. And that's what it is. So it's this paired story and then essay, paired story and essay. And if anybody reads any one of them, read the first one, the, the title, Anchor Story, Ink Stains for Life. Because that was, believe it or not, I, even hard for me to believe, that was a op-ed in the uh, New York Times International Herald Tribune. Very good. I want to remind our listeners, too, that we have a show. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, somebody encouraged me to send it, and I thought this is just, you know, a waste of time. And, then, and it was taken up immediately. And that, uh, I think all of us have a story like that inside of us and we just if we listen hard enough uh, we'll we'll find it that's again that goes back to what we started it with of what kind of writer do we want to be and what might we convey about ourselves i want to remind our, our our listeners and i mean interrupt you there but i remind our listeners that we do have a podcast with you on it regarding that ink stained life it was a, a wonderful podcast my first introduction to you and one of my most favorite shows in our dialogue back and forth so I would encourage our readers to take a look at that. It's a very well-written uh, book and uh, just some really heartfelt things conveyed in it. That's very kind of you. I mean, yeah, it's good. Kind of oh, that's nice. Well, Lloyd, hey, I want to I want to thank you for being with us today on this show. This is a little bit different than what we normally do, but I love being able to bring some meaning and application from a psychological relational perspective around this reacher character. And I would encourage our, our readers to take a look at, you know, child's books. I, I too, like, like Lloyd, have no financial thing in, invested in this other than a real curiosity about this character and what he's written. And they are really enjoyable books. So well, for somebody who's not read any, I often get the question, which one should yes, I read first? Good. And start with the first one, because they're not in exact chronological order, but there is a building over time and information over time. So, and you're going to have as much fun with the first as the third or the 14th. Let's start with the first one. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Well, hey, Lloyd, great to be with you today. So nice to have you on the show. Same here. I really appreciate your work and the teaching that uh, is provided through your your podcast and your work that that's a, a real gift thank well, you well i really appreciate that piece thanks for saying that you know i also want to thank you to our listeners for dropping by and joining lloyd and me today it's always great to have you with us regarding our episode today i want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other, our other podcasts can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com/bht so check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT, and explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.